When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey everybody, it's Dan. Before we get started on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, let me tell you about Football Insider, our tech subscription service where me, Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams will text you with the latest on the Browns news, analysis, what we're thinking, and more. You can text us back and we respond directly to you cutting through the clutter of social media. You also get opportunities to get involved in this podcast and participate in roundtables and other events for our subscribers. It's like a little club and you want to get involved with this club. You even get a newsletter every day. It's got exclusive content you either won't see on cleveland.com or you'll see before anyone else. You know what though? Don't let me tell you about it. How about if you hear from some of our subscribers as to why they love Football Insider? I don't know why any Browns fan would not want to have this. It's great. There's something every day. I mean, it's really, really keeps me in touch with uh, the Browns. The daily newsletter that y'all put out there, I I really like that. It's got a lot of links, a lot of different read-ups. I mean, just, you know, you get a lot of content. That's why I like it. If I'm at work or something, I need a quick break. I can hit that up and say, oh, and in a minute I can read uh, what you wrote and, uh, you know, see maybe that there's further information in, you know, one of your other articles or something like that. I get excited when I see, you know, my little text messages pop up. <laughs> so if you want to join us, you can start a 14-day free trial by going to cleveland.com slash browns and clicking on the box on the right side of the page. It's $3.99 per month after the trial. Or even easier, since it is a text service, pick up your phone and text 216 208 3965 to get signed up. Again, to start your 14-day free trial, text 216-208-3965. Hey everybody, welcome to our Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby, joined by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing great today, Dan. How you doing? Doing well, and also Scott Patsko. Scott, how are you? Oh, good. I'm excited. We finally have a real Browns roster to talk about. No more hypotheticals and projections. It's, it's starting to feel like football season. It is. It's starting to, like, it's game week. It just kind of hit me. The Browns are going to practice today on Labor Day, and then they get into game week. We're going to have an injury report on Wednesday. We're going to get a depth chart this week. Uh, it's, it's starting to feel a little more real even if it's not going to look very real on game days just yet, it's starting to feel a little more real. But like you said, Scott, we do have a roster. So let's go ahead and go through uh, the roster that we have. And let's just start with the quarterback position. It seems like there isn't a ton to talk about here, right? The Browns kept the two quarterbacks we expected. But uh, I, I do think there was a little disagreement on our 53-man rosters. And Scott's going to tell us how we did on those a little bit later uh, about how many quarterbacks the, the Browns would keep. Um, Scott, now you had three quarterbacks, right? 
I did. And I went back and forth on that. And I think uh, what you wrote was kind of went through the similar process maybe of, all right, well, we know that Kevin Stefanski kept two quarterbacks last year, and it's clear that they're only worried about getting Case Keenum and Baker Mayfield ready for the season. But there's also, you know, this pandemic going on and the fact that you don't want to be stuck the week of a game trying to scrape together a quarterback to throw out there. So I thought you probably should, you probably should have a third guy. I wasn't confident that Garrett Gilbert could be brought back on the practice squad. Um, clearly he was because that's what happened today. But uh, so that's, I had him on there. That was one of, my, uh, one of my misses on my prediction. But it makes sense either way, I think. Yeah, I think there was a good argument to make either way, Mary Kay. Yeah, and, you know, uh, with the COVID rules now and the way the practice squads are set up, there's 16 people on it. Six of them can be veterans. Uh, we know Josh McCown ended up on a practice squad uh, today, which is kind of cool. Uh, so with the way that you can call a guy up and put him back down without too much ado, without too much red tape and without a lot of time, I figured that they probably would try to get Garrett Gilbert back onto the practice squad. So I, I left him off the 53. Yeah, we, we're beyond the days, at least for this year, if you have to elevate a guy on like Saturday, you can do it pretty close to the game. You're going to know if you need him. Um, and in reality, you still don't want to see that guy playing necessarily. You want to, if Baker's unable to go, you want Case Keenum to be the guy playing that whole game. And the good news is we've talked about this before. Baker is, is of course, a very durable quarterback Hasn't missed a ton of time. I don't know that we need to belabor the quarterback position too much. So let's head to the running back position. Again, not a lot of surprises. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt make the roster. But the real question here was, would it be Dontrell Hilliard or Dearness Johnson? Uh, so Mary Kay, my thinking was the decision on Johnson came down to he could maybe do a little more than Dontrell Hilliard. And I, again, I don't know if that's what the Browns were thinking, but that's sort of how I read it. Dontrell Hilliard was a little more of a kick returner. Uh, you know, didn't necessarily show you last year. He could absolutely be that third back. And Dearness Johnson maybe just had a better camp. And you've got other guys that can handle those kick return duties. Yeah, I think so. I think that uh, Dearness Johnson had a little bit better of a camp. Uh, in the offseason, he trimmed some weight. He got faster. And I just think he looked better. Uh, and, and I think we saw him out there a little bit more. I think he got reps before Dontrell Hilliard did. And again, I think he can do other things on special teams, make tackles and things like that. He's not just a, a returner. Um, he catches the ball well out of the backfield. So he can, he can bring that element and he can run the ball. So I just think that, you know, they weren't probably too, too far off from each other. And Dontrell Hilliard came back on the practice squad. Might've been a little bit of a tough call, but I, I think that Johnson looked better in camp. Yeah, as I told our, our subtexters earlier this week, it's like Dontrell Hilliard just never blossomed here. Mm -hmm. You know, a year ago at this time, we're talking about how uh, people really seem confident that the Browns are okay without Duke Johnson and without Kareem Hunt for the first eight games because Dontrell Hilliard can do all these great things on the football field. And, you know, I think he had 13 carries, 12 catches last year. So he didn't really grow into that role. Um, and then Dernis Johnson just kind of overtook him. And I think maybe a really telling thing was on Friday during that dress rehearsal, or was it Thursday? Yeah, it was Thursday during the dress rehearsal. It was, uh, to, uh, it was um, Dontrell Hilliard going out there for the first real offense versus defense uh, portion of that, which basically had a bunch of guys you would have seen in the fourth quarter of the fourth preseason game. Um, to see him out there uh, with that group, I think, pretty much solidified to me that he was, he was probably on the cutting block. 
Yeah, so, so again, just no real surprises there, and, and we're going to get to wide receiver. I think when you know, JoJo Natson essentially made this roster, that, that kind of told you that, that that's your return guy, and if it's not going to be him, it, it's going to be Donovan Peoples-Jones, and, and that probably didn't bode very well for Dearness Johnson's future. But let's go to another position uh, that is – I mean, I guess it's set. We're still waiting on injury news uh, as far as J.C. Treader's concerned – but when you look at the offensive line, again, it was mostly status quo, but what really stood out to me, and I think we talked about this a little bit last week, is we spent so much time in the offseason talking about the guard battle. Who's going who's gonna to be the right guard? And there wasn't much of a right guard battle. There really wasn't a right guard battle for, for various reasons. So Wyatt Teller is the guy there. You've got Evan Brown on the inside. Nick Harris, if he's not your starting center at the beginning of the year, uh, is, is also a swing guy inside. Anything stand out to you guys on this offensive line? Well, you know, when I look at the offensive line, I think it should be one of the best offensive lines in the NFL if it comes together the way that they should. And the way that needs to happen is for Jedrick Wills to keep coming up the learning curve. If he's good this year, good early on in the first four games or so, uh, then they should have a really darn good offensive line. Super solid at center, left guard, right tackle. Wyatt Teller should even be better than he was last year. Worked really hard in the offseason. So the X factor is Jed, and uh, he's working really, really hard at it. If he comes around the way they hope that he does, they should have an excellent offensive line. It's just, we, we all nailed this, by the way. We all had all nine guys correct. It was pretty obvious for a while, I think. Uh, you're right about the right guard being settled fairly early. So uh, the only thing that really sticks out to me is there's no uh, backup guard, no guy who's predominantly been a guard in his career. You have Evan Brown and Nick Harris at center, assuming J.C. Treader comes back, um, but you don't really have that one guy who's got a ton of snaps. I know Evan Brown has gotten guard snaps, but you know, Michael Dunn on the practice squad is the only pure guard uh, on this team right now. That's, that's a huge deal. Again, you're talking about an emergency scenario where you got to fill in a spot um, for an injury or whatever. But that's really the only thing that, that, that stood out to me. And it clearly wasn't enough to make me not pick these exact nine guys. So, um, you know, nobody seems to think it's a big deal. So hopefully the Browns can make it through the season without it becoming a big deal. Yeah, you know what? One guy we didn't talk about, one position we didn't talk about was, was fullback. Uh, obviously, we all kind of knew Andy Janovich was going to make it, but as I, as I pulled up here just to make sure I had all the cuts in front of me and the practice squad guys in front of me is uh, Johnny Stanton is hanging around. He's going to be on the practice squad. And Scott, I feel like this is near and dear to your heart because not only backup fullback, but also potentially backup long snapper. That's true. And you really need that position. You don't really think about it. That, maybe that's why he's on the practice squad because I think you pointed out as you're walking off the practice field one day, there's Johnny Stanton practicing some, some long snaps. I, I still think back to the, the story I wrote after they first uh, acquired him about his uh, versatility in college. Although now seeing him, seeing how thick his legs are, I don't think he's uh, got maybe the same uh, elusiveness he had when he was playing quarterback uh, and being a dual threat quarterback in high school and college. But, you know, he's here. And, you know, the coaches kind of pointed him out too and how good uh, of a job he was doing kind of soaking in what Andy Janovich was, was doing. So, you know, certainly hope he doesn't have to be your emergency long snapper though. That's for sure. <laughs> it's something you have to think about in, in these COVID times. 
Uh, let's move to tight end because I guess if, if there is a surprise, this was probably where, uh, where it happened. I, I know for me, uh, it, it was really difficult to come up with. Now the Browns initially kept five tight ends. Uh, they cut it down to four when, when they made some waiver claims. So Pharaoh Brown, uh, not on the 53-man roster now. Uh, but Steven Carlson sticks around. And this was a really tough decision. Are you gonna, I know for me, as I was putting together the 53, it was kind of a coin toss. I'm either going to go with Carlson or I'm going to go with Brown. Uh, the Browns initially kept both, and they made a move, which I sort of expected. Uh, that, that They were kind of placeholding one of those guys. Uh, Mary Kerr, you would all surprise that the Browns didn't keep Pharaoh Brown on the 53-man roster, considering they don't really have a true blocking tight end right now. Yeah, this was a tough one. Uh, you know, you wouldn't think that you would agonize over Steve Carlson versus Pharaoh <laughs> Brown, but when I was doing my 53, I really put a lot of thought into it, and I know you guys did too. I certainly didn't think they were going to keep all five of them to start with, or at least not keep five for a long period of time. And now Pharaoh Brown right now on the practice squad. Um, and I, I'm sure that was a tough call because he does bring a different element. He brings that big blocking tight end. And when you have this type of, of run game that Kevin Stefanski wants to, to run, uh, you know, he would come in handy for that, I'm sure. But there was something that they liked about Steven Carlson, and I'm guessing that their decision came down to who's going to make it through waivers and who's not. And I don't think they thought Steven Carlson was going to make it through waivers, even though he's has similar characteristics to some of the other tight ends that they have. Yeah, just, just to clarify real quick, because I, I think we both said this, Pharaoh is, as we're recording this, still going through that waiver process, but I, we all kind of expect him to take one of those last two practice squads. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, but you know what, though? He, he could get, he could actually get claimed because Pharaoh Brown can play some football. And I think that this was a, uh, I think this was a tough decision for the Browns on, on what to do here. Um, but in the end, Steve Carlson is here. I know they really like him a lot. And he joins a really good tight end room. It's, it's good. I mean, it's one of the better tight end rooms in the NFL. That was by design. Austin Hooper, one of the best in the NFL. David Njoku, really good. If he can just be a little bit more consistent with catching the ball. Harrison Bryant had a great camp. And this is a really good position for them. Here's the thing about blocking with this tight end group. Uh, and I know people point to... David Joku's past and being called out uh, by John Dorsey. But if you look at the, the pro football focus blocking, run blocking grades in particular uh, on these guys, they're pretty consistent with what the Vikings got last season and they were a successful offense. So, you know, I know everybody, uh, Farrell Brown, at least why I put him on my roster largely because of the blocking, um, but also because it seemed to improve as a pass catcher. But uh, I don't think there's maybe as much to worry about with run blocking with this group as people might think, because it seems to be that they're probably good enough <laughs> to, uh, to have some success with this offense. Now, one of the things with the tight end group that happened yesterday when they did keep five was uh, some, some people started to wonder about David Njoku possibly. Uh, are, now, I don't think anything's going to happen anytime soon, but uh, are I guess, how are we feeling about David Njoku right now? I still am not convinced that he is as secure as people think. Not that the Browns would necessarily cut him or, or trade him like right now, but I think there's going to be a playing time battle there with, with him and Harrison Bryant. And then look, if he's really struggling catching the football and making an impact, 
maybe even Steven Carlson could, could make a little, a little run up the depth chart too. I think Najoku should still be very much on notice here. Dan, you've never been a David Njoku fan, now have you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm all right with David Njoku. Yeah, just kidding. Um, I don't think this is a statement too much about David Njoku. I'm, okay. I'm buying what they're selling. I believe that they still like David Njoku. Remember, Andrew Berry was part of drafting David Njoku. When you draft a guy, you, you give him the benefit of the doubt, and, then, and you believe that in the right situation – he can become what you believe he could have become. They, they traded back up into the first round to get him. So I think Andrew Berry still believes in him, still thinks he can be a very good tight end in the NFL with a little bit more development. He missed 10 games last year with a wrist injury. And uh, I, I think they still really like him a lot. And at this point, right now, at this moment, I think he might still be number two behind Austin Hooper. Uh, again, that could change. They really like what they see from Harrison Bryant. Maybe they'll split some reps there when they go to two tight ends. Um, but, but I don't think that this means he's on his way out the door. You have what every coach wants at that position group. It's people pushing each other. You know, there's competition there. And Bryant and Njoku are clearly going to push each other for playing time. And that's, you know, the Browns are going to win because of that. Not necessarily win games, but just win in theory. Hopefully win. That's, that's where they're at. Uh, six wide receivers. This was sort of a surprise, Scott. You pointed out numerous times that, that Kevin Stefanski kept five in Minnesota. And I, I kind of think that the number here is a direct result of Jojo Natson, who I'm not convinced doesn't have some sort of gimmick role in this offense. And I think we've seen a little bit of it on display at uh, the two scrimmages they held or the, the scrimmage in the dress rehearsal they held at First Energy Stadium. They did some, some different things with him. You know, Kevin Stefanski said he views him as a football player. Um, when, I, when I asked him about whether he, he saw him as more of a kick returner, if he could help at wide receiver. Um, so I think there is some sort of role for Jojo Natson, but at its heart, he is the kick returner for this team. That's why they kept him. And I think that's why the number is probably at six here, because I think they're we're not going to see him line up at receiver a ton, even if he did spend some time there kind of high up the depth chart in camp. Yeah. You, you had to wonder if both Jojo Natson and Donovan Peoples Jones could end up on this football team, but, uh, but they both did. And, uh, and they did keep six wide receivers, Damian Ratley, uh, one of the odd men out. Uh, he got picked up by the giants reunited with uh, Freddie kitchens up there in New York. Uh, once again, I think that uh, the Browns, if you just look at the position in total, uh, I believe that when you put Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry together, uh, they are uh, they make probably one of the best duos at their position in the NFL, just like they have at running back, the Cleveland Browns. So uh, they're pretty amazing right there. And then right now, if, if they were playing a game tomorrow, I would think that the third wideout might be Rashard Higgins. Not sure. Could be Kadero Hodge. But um, for the most part, they have a pretty good receiving core, uh, especially because of the two top stars. Yeah, over, over under on JoJo Nats and offensive snaps this year, I'd probably put it at maybe 25. Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> and I, I don't think Donovan Peoples-Jones is going to be that much higher. I think it's, you're going to see more Hodge and Higgins uh, when you're not seeing Beckham and Landry out there. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, the top six group that I, I think kind of – separate itself because again Ratley spent so much time out he was really I mean those final two weeks that's a lot of ground to make up so 
Uh, this group of guys, I think, became obvious uh, as we got to the last couple of weeks there. Yeah, I don't think Natson has even been targeted since uh, his rookie year in, in the league. So it's, yeah. it's been a long time for him to actually even be targeted on a throw. Uh, but I'm curious if they have some things for him. And look, we talk about this all the time, too. If you're going to put somebody like Natson on the field, who are you going to take off? Right? If you're going to put Higgins on the field, who are you going to take off? Hodge, you know, you go through this with everybody. Mary Kay, you kind of answered this question already. Uh, and this harkens back to our 20 questions pods. Who's your third receiver? Uh, you, you said it's probably Higgins, but maybe Hodge. I think, I think I'm going to go with Hodge. Scott, who do you have? I'm going to go with Higgins. I, I think uh, I've seen him move around the formation a lot the last couple of years. So I think he has that versatility. And I mean, the coaches really seemed to like what he was doing in camp. So I, I, think, it's, I think it's Higgins. And, and remember, right. of course, that they have so much position flexibility uh, with that number third guy, number three guy. So if they ever get to the point where they're going to go with, you know, three traditional wides, as we've talked about many times on this pod, Kareem Hunt can step in as that guy as well. Uh, and it just, you can just do things with mismatches. It, it will depend on uh, if you think that Richard works against better to, you know, a team better than Kadero that week or Kareem. Uh, so they, they can mess around with that and interchange them a lot, I would think. Yeah, before we, I know we're probably going to wrap up offense here in a minute. Before we do that, though, one thing we did not see this camp, speaking of Kareem Hunt, is Hunt and Chubb on the field together. It was a lot of shuffling in and out and replacing each other, but, you know, that, that duo dynamic that we saw last season, we didn't really get to see that in camp. Certainly didn't get to see that in, uh, in the First Energy Stadium practices. Uh, I would be surprised if we don't see that in week one. I'm, I got to believe that they have things that they worked on that they're keeping under wraps for obvious reasons. But um, it was a bit surprising not to see that at all during camp. I do feel like uh, coaches across the league, and especially this coach in particular, are taking advantage of a very secretive yeah. training camp by all accounts. Normally you've got thousands of fans, all kinds of media right there on the sideline watching everything you do. And that was not the case this year, even for us when we were out there. There just wasn't a ton to see. Um, and certainly it was getting streamed, you know, worldwide. But, you know, how much could you really see on that? I, I'm pretty sure there's going to be some things that uh, we had no idea were coming that they've been sitting on. I think across the NFL, that's going to be the case. Yeah, you know what? I think that um, I do think that we will see Nick Chubb and Kareem on the field together a fair amount. The thing to remember about this coaching staff about Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt is they've never seen their players in a live game yet. They've never seen it. The first time they're going to see it is against the Baltimore Ravens in the opener. <laughs> that always just blows my mind. So they don't really know what they have yet or what they're going to love yet or who's going to get the hot hand or how it's going to work, how they want to put Kareem. And I mean, they have some ideas conceptually how they want to attack a defense, but they haven't done it yet with their scheme and their guys and Baker running the show and distributing the ball. And what you see in week one is not going to be what you see in week two, three, four, five. It will be a work in progress. It's going to feel very much, very college football-esque. You know, these guys will get out on the field. Unfortunately for the Browns, they don't get to open up against our beloved Kent State Golden Flashes. <laughs> uh, they have to play a real team and a real uh, 
Super Bowl contender in the Ravens. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we will talk about the defensive side of the ball. And like we said, Scott's going to tell us how we did on our 53-man rosters. He has not told us yet. Uh, I I made him keep it a secret, so uh, he has not told us. So we're going to be finding out when you all find out, and that will be on the other side. Back on the Orange or Brown Talk podcast, Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko. Let's talk about the defense on the defensive line. Again, the big story remains Port Augustine. He made it. No big surprise that he made it, at least after watching camp. But he is on. This is also where we got some roster churn, though, as well. The Browns made uh, two claims on the defensive line. They got Joe Jackson claimed from Dallas and Vincent Taylor claimed from, claimed from Buffalo. So Elianku, who made the roster initially, uh, he is on waivers. Maybe he'll make it back on the practice squad for one of those last two spots. Uh, but the defensive line, Port Augustine has to be the story for this group, right? Well, yeah, he beat out Chad Thomas. We saw yeah. this happen. Miles Garrett uh, missed the first five days of training camp with a tweaked hamstring. It started out to be Chad Thomas in there on the opposite side of Olivier Vernon. However, they had them. Uh, they started out and then they flip-flopped them. But it was those two, those two guys to begin with. And then they looked out there and said, Chad Thomas is not cutting it. He's not getting the job done. They moved Porter Gustin in there and Chad Thomas never reclaimed his spot. You could see midway through this very short camp that things were not going in his direction. And I think all of us knew and even said by the time we got to our 53 that he was not going to make it. And as it was, he was not even claimed today. He made it through waivers, not claimed, not coming back on the Browns practice squad. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with him over the next few weeks. Yeah, I mean, every, every camp you're going to have that guy that just kind of was an afterthought at the season before. And then, then boom, he's all of a sudden there. And, you know, it, and he was the guy this, this, this off season, Chad Thomas just seemed to disappear, you know? Um, although he was very much visible last year, maybe for some wrong reasons, <laughs> having to, <laughs> Uh, I think it was Farrell Brown he got into a scuffle with during camp. And yeah, Farrell Brown, by the way, two years in a row has started, well, not obviously started fight, but has been involved in fights in, in training camp. I don't know what's going on with Farrell Brown, but he, he seems to attract that kind of, of attention. Um, but yeah, I mean, Port Augustine uh, seemed like an obvious choice early on. And I think the only question was, would they keep four or five at, at, at both you know, line positions? And initially they kept four. Uh, I think they're up to five now on, on edge, but yeah, it was not, not much surprise. Yeah. I think the, the biggest surprise is maybe the total number. Uh, even after the claims today, they're still at eight, uh, five defensive ends and three defensive tackles. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see how that sort of shakes out uh, with, without having really looked too much into the, the waiver claims as of yet, how much they can play inside, uh, whether we see some three man fronts, you know, Joe Woods is running a 4-3, but he's a 3-4 a guy. So, you know, there's a – I was just surprised that they only kept eight guys total. Well, they do have – they do have four defensive tackles, right? Did I – do I have my list wrong? Uh, got maybe. Taylor, Elliott, Ogunjobi, and Richardson. Yes, you're right. You're right. The roster hasn't right. been updated. So they have Joe total. Jackson on the roster, but not, uh, not Taylor. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So they're at nine. So what do we think about that tackle position then? Well, you know, I think when you look at this defensive line, once again, just globally, uh, I think it can be. I think it has the potential to be one of the best in the NFL if Miles Garrett 
and Olivier Vernon both stay healthy. We haven't seen the best of OV yet. I think he looks really good. The other thing I've noticed about these defensive linemen is all of them have gotten lighter, leaner, and faster. Okay. When I look at Larry Ogunjobi, I mean, he's kind of transformed his body a little bit. Same thing with Sheldon Richardson. I mean, he looks younger than he did last year. <laughs> you know, I mean, these guys, I think that they were sent forth with some marching orders to, you know, tighten things up a bit and to come back a little bit leaner and, and quicker and lighter. And I think that they have. And when, when uh, we had Sheldon Richardson on the Zoom, he talked about pure dominance. I had to laugh because he's not woofing. Nobody's woofing, <laughs> but pure dominance everywhere. Um, but, you know, that, that's the goal for these guys is they want to set the tone. And we'll see how that goes starting Sunday. You know, if you were looking through Pro Football Focus, trying to find a guy who has done well in limited opportunities, Vincent Taylor would probably jump out at you. Uh, as a rookie, he graded 84.1 as a defensive grade, which, according to PFF, that's like right on the cusp of Pro Bowl level. Now, that was in 185 snaps, so clearly not a very big sample size, but he was at 73.8 the second year. He was down to 68.7 last year with the Bills, but that was like 48 snaps. Um, but he's excelled in as a tackler. He's excelled against the run. So they got a guy who's done it in short spurts. And, you know, I think you look at that and maybe he was more attracted to them than someone like Anku, who, even though he's been here the whole time, um, is still not anybody who's put together a ton of, of great tape. He basically got here last year and it was, was kind of a fill-in down the stretch. So, um, you know, if they can kind of mold Taylor into the guy they want, he's not going to be Andrew Billings, but um, at least there, there seems to be something there to work with based on how he's performed. Yeah. Richardson, Mary Kay, you mentioned it. He looks skinnier. Even on that, even on that zoom call, he looked different. <laughs> he looks like he's in a good mood too. We gave him that good guy award last year and, and he's looking like he's coming back trying to win that thing for a second year in a row based on our first zoom call with him. The linebacking core, uh, a situation where we talked about a lot of different guys, and they ended up keeping uh, initially there a little higher number than I thought, but part of that is probably because of, of Mac Wilson. Uh, the question kind of here is who is your third starter, I, I think. If it's Sione Takitaki and B.J. Goodson, which guy are you picking as your third starter in this group right now? Well, you know, I mean, it's between Jacob Phillips right now and Tay Davis, I would think, for, for that spot. And it just depends. And maybe they'll rotate those two guys. Maybe they'll split it up. You know, it, you've got a little bit of a vault. You've got a little bit of experience. You've got a little bit more speed and explosiveness. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly who's going to get the start. Probably, you know, maybe Jacob Phillips, if they feel like he's ready to, to go up against uh, the Ravens. But, you know, I think they could use a combination of those guys. It also could depend on how quickly they can get Malcolm Smith up to speed and where he's at at this point, um, depending on how much he would be involved in the rotation. Uh, but I think you're going to see mostly Goodson and Taki Taki out there, um, you know, if they're, if they're going with two linebackers for sure. It, it might also depend on how quick they can get Ronnie Harrison up to speed. You know, if they feel comfortable having him out there as that sort of hybrid safety and linebacker, you know, maybe that is that situation where we only see two guys a lot and, Maybe if they feel like he's not ready and they don't want to throw Sheldrick Redwine out there, 
Maybe that's where we see three linebackers. And that's where the Ravens present a challenge too. How, how do you want to defend the Ravens? Do you want to go light and fast? Do you want to go a little heavier? There's, there's so many different ways to, to try and attack them um, or you know, hopefully try to attack them. It's not easy to do. Uh, and, and that's the decision the Browns have to make. So then when we look at these safety and corner positions, uh, again, not a ton of surprises here. A.J. Green, I, I guess a surprise because Denzel Ward had some really good things to say about him. And I guess one of the lessons uh, is sometimes players kind of lobby for guys when, when they get on these Zoom calls with us or have these press conferences. It seems like Denzel Ward really wanted to lobby uh, for A.J. Green, but he ends up on the practice squad instead of making the roster Donovan Olumba is a guy that I thought might make it because he made some plays, uh, but he did not. So as I look at this group, the, the question is, of course, how quickly Kevin Johnson can get back uh, and, and how the Browns will kind of cover for him when he's gone. But the other concern too, Mary Kay, is Greedy Williams. We yes. don't really know what's going on with him just yet. No, and you know, I did uh, go out, this is, we're taping on a Sunday. I went out and watched that first little bit of practice today and Greedy Williams was not out there yet on the field. Uh, we have not seen him since August 24th when he walked off with a shoulder injury. So at this point, I almost think that you have to count on Terrence Mitchell starting that first game for you. And then again, you have a quick, quick turnaround with the Bengals four days later. So chances are, he might have to start that game too. Uh, you know, that's, you start to get down into your depth a little bit and that's not how you want to really necessarily start your season. So uh, yeah, it's been probably like I've, I've written a few times, the biggest mystery of camp. What happened with the shoulder injury? Why haven't we seen Greedy outside? Why hasn't he take, been taking mental reps? I just, you know, I mean, even Kevin Johnson's been out there with the lacerated liver We've seen MJ Stewart out there every day with the hamstring injury. We haven't seen Greedy, and it's just been odd. So who knows what happens when we show up on Monday? Yeah, this defensive backfield, uh, I think, has they've had they've had to have had the most practices missed, or either due to injury, or due to rest, or just a day off. Uh, there was just tons of days where you know guys who were normally maybe third string were were up in second or first string because you know, two or three or four guys were standing on the sideline or in the building. Um, and some of that stuff obviously is still lingering. So at the end of the day, though, I think they went with a lot of obvious choices, but there was some question about, okay, do you keep some extra people at one of these positions because you got guys who are trying to come back from injuries or who are currently injured. So um, yeah, at the end of the day, there weren't a lot of surprises. I think they obviously know more about the health of these guys than, than we do right now. And they seem to be confident with that the guys who, who have been hurt are going to be ready. Yeah, we spotted Greedy on Friday at the stadium, but that's really been it. He, he hasn't been out there. I mean, all the injured guys were, were there at the stadium on, uh, on Friday, but it's a little concerning that we haven't seen Greedy yet. We get our first injury report, like I said, on Wednesday, uh, and, and we'll get an idea there. And then, of course, the safety position, shaken up a little bit by that trade uh, with Ronnie Harrison coming in, but once again, no, no real big surprises there. Uh, I still think that's a position that doesn't have quite enough depth. Um, I wondered if maybe they would claim someone or if there'd be someone out there that they liked, but certainly going out and trading uh, for Ronnie Harrison helps in, in that situation. Uh, kickers, we got to talk kickers. Old friend Cody Parkey is back. The uh, of double doink fame, of course, but also Browns fans will remember him flying 
to Miami the day of uh, the second game of the season. The Browns lost that game in overtime to the Jarvis Landry and Ryan Tannehill led Dolphins. Uh, Cody Parkey missed some kicks. So the Browns kind of hedging their bets there on kicker. No big surprise you have to do that, but I do still kind of wonder how sold they are on Austin Seibert because he wasn't super consistent in camp, a little bit up and down. We've talked about those dog pound issues. Look, kicker can change with a missed kick or two, or if you lose a game for your team, you know, you, you could be in trouble. Uh, and, and so Austin, Austin Seibert, I think, still maybe has to be on notice a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I definitely think this means that uh, not only do they have to have somebody uh, because of COVID, you've got to be ready to go. So I think that is a factor, but also now they've got somebody waiting in the wings who, who can hit the long ball uh, way better than Austin Seibert. Uh, he's, I can't remember what, I just wrote this a little bit ago, but uh, his 50 plus is like eight out of 10 or something like that. Maybe you can help me out with that, Scott. Um, whereas Austin Seibert struggles a little bit from 40 out. He missed four kicks uh, from 40 yards or longer last year. He also missed four extra points, and, and that's a lot of extra points, which is a 33-yard field goal nowadays. Uh, but, you know, you want to be, like, golden on those. They can't afford, you know, to, to score the, uh, you know, the game almost tying touchdown, and then he goes out and misses the, the game tying extra point. So, uh, so I definitely think that he is on notice now. Yeah, I think you're, you're right. I think the, the problems with cyber is when you move back further. Um, and, you know, it just makes sense to have somebody on the practice squad who's a kicker. Uh, it didn't really surprise me. I, I never really thought watching cyber in practice that he was on shaky ground. Maybe that had to do with the fact that the, the rosters were kind of reduced and there weren't other kickers competing in camp. But um, I don't know. I'm, I'm ready to, to watch him go out there and try. <laughs> Yeah, well, unfortunately, if we talk about the missed extra points, I, I went back and looked. His very first missed extra point was when the Browns scored the opening drive touchdown against Tennessee into the dog pound end. He misses the extra point, and that just, that just set the tone for the entire season, not just that game. All right, Scott, I, I think we've talked about everybody. And if you guys have somebody we missed, uh, raise your hand here or something. But, Scott, I think we're ready to hear how we did on our 53-man rosters. All right. If you got well, first, if you guys had to guess, how many how many do you think you got wrong? Oh wow, um, I, I would have to say. I, I mean, I would expect that I I'm not very good at it. Ten? I don't even know if that would be a good a good number. You think you got ten wrong? Yeah. How about you, Mary Kay? The high or low? I would say five, five maybe five wrong. Well, Mary Kay led us all. She only had two wrong. Only wow. two. The only mistakes was she had uh, Farrell Brown off the schedule, off the roster, which at the end of the day ended up happening anyways. And then uh, Mary Kay also had AJ Green on, so you had seven cornerbacks instead of six. But everything else was correct, so that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good batting average there. Dan, you only missed three. Oh, look I don't at me! You missed ten. <laughs> you only missed three. You had the same Farrell Brown mistake. Uh, Donovan Alumba, which. I think everybody watching camp probably thought he was going to be on this team. Uh, he, he seemed to be moving up the, the depth chart and getting a lot of first team reps, but it was just another case of you having an extra cornerback. So, um, and then of course you had the, the Elijah Benton 
on its safety and then snuck on Ronnie Harrison after the trade. I did cheat. I feel like I we, should, cheat a I, we should just give you seven wrong just for that to get you up to 10. <laughs> but uh, well, we'll let it go. Um, I actually had eight. I was closer to 10. Um, but I kind of, well, I'm giving myself partial credit for some of these. I had Garrett Gilbert. I went with three quarterbacks like we talked about. He's on the practice squad, so I don't know. That's Half like a point. Yeah, at least. Uh, I had Jojo jo jo Natsinoff. This is probably the biggest one. I talked myself into this thinking that he had been used so little at wide receiver, and what we saw maybe was a little more of the gimmicky stuff in camp, and we know Donovan Peoples-Jones can return punts, so I, I kind of had him on only five receivers. Stephen Carlson, I went uh, with Farrell Brown instead of Stephen Carlson, so I was basically doing the opposite of what you guys did at tight end. I had Chad Thomas on my roster. But I did write that if they go with four, he'd probably be, be the guy off. So I, I think I should give partial credit for that. Uh, I left Tay Davis off. Uh, I only went with five linebackers. I prioritized quarterback and defensive line more than the Browns did. So they're in charge, so I'll let them have that. Uh, I had Alumba on uh, instead of Tavier Thomas. So that's not a big mistake. And then at safety, I had uh, Benton and Moffitt. But I did write that they probably weren't going to be on the roster come week one, and that's obviously going to be the case so so really it's eight but it's probably more like three you know <laughs> um and also scott you did yours i did mine beginning of the week right yeah. beginning of the week i i waited i almost waited until they made the cuts right at four o'clock so That's, i would say that would have been a good call hey here's the 53 <laughs> i would have put up so it just shows how i don't remember anything i do no no <laughs> I, but you guys did you guys did well. So you know, next year when we do projections, um, I got ground to make up. But you can totally believe what Dan and Mary Kay write. You know what? <laughs> I actually believe it or not, I put a lot of thought into that thing. Crazy as it sounds, I was like texting people that know people <laughs> and working sources to find out what people knew and what they heard and what they thought. <laughs> I mean, I was like. I don't know. I think I, I probably spent too much time on that on a Friday. Well, you know, it, it is stressful because you, you kind of want to say, ah, it's just a 53 projection. It's going to change. I'm going to just put it up and, and throw it away. But you do get a little stressed out because, you know, you don't want to be super wrong because we, we sat there and, and watched camp. This year was a little more predictable, I think, than in, than in years past. Yeah, um, it's always really hard to kind of know some of these bottom of the roster guys and we just didn't have the opportunity to see uh, to see a lot of those guys so the predictability of, of this year I think helped a little bit too all right well that'll do it for this Monday edition of the orange and brown talk podcast we'll be back with our texter Tuesday edition tomorrow so if you want to get involved in that text 216-208-3965 you can start that 14-day free trial of football insider and make sure you're subscribed to the orange and brown talk podcast wherever you get your podcasts for Mary Kay and Scott I'm Dan thanks for listening